Um, to live generous means this. It means to show a readiness to give more of something, as of your time, your talent, and your treasure, than is strictly necessary or expected. In other words, it's to say the totality of who I am, my talents, my abilities, my time, which is all I have, and my, my treasure, which is my, fin my finances, my money. All of those things which I need in my life, uh, I'm going to live generously with those things because, because it's needed or it's needed to fulfill something and it's not strictly necessary or expected so therefore I take what I have and I willingly, not out of expectation, I don't wait till somebody pulls it from me, but I have a willing heart to give of those things and to live generously. It's a rich, rich life to live a generous life. First Chronicles 29, 12 says this, says this both riches and honor come from you. Speaking of God, this is King Solomon and his prayer to God. He says, and you reign, Lord, over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, O God, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? Stop right there. The, the back story to this, the history of this, is that God wanted them to build him a temple. God was living in a tabernacle. What's the difference? A tabernacle is a tent. It doesn't look good, doesn't smell good. It is just a, a non-permanent structure that's meant for mobility. So they would pick, literally, God would say, go over here, and they'd pick the, that, that tabernacle up, which had all the implements of God in there, and they would take it, go over there, and then they just kind of staked it down, and then it was time to move, they unstaked and went somewhere else. He's saying, now, I want you to build me a place of permanency, something where I'm going to establish myself forever, and so I want you to build it, okay? And so Solomon's praying, and he's saying, you know, Lord, you've done everything. You've got, it's all you. And then he says, who am I and these people to offer to you? Watch this last part of the verse. For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. What does that say? It's saying, it looks like I'm doing such a sacrificial thing as to give my time, talent, and my finances to, to build you a temple. But the truth is, it's all yours anyways. All that I have has never been mine. And the truth of the revelation that we all need to get today is everything I got, yeah, I worked for it. Yes, I busted uh, my hump to make that happen. And yes, I put my abilities and all that. But God gave you those abilities. God gave you that air to breathe. God gave you that strength to overcome. God gave you that connection to have that job to be able to get those things and get those deals and to have that stuff. It's all God. It's all God. And so Solomon is saying something so pure and so humble. It could only come by the Spirit of God. He's saying, I know we're sacrificing and, and we are, quote, unquote, sacrificing to give here to build your temple. But after all, it's all yours anyways. And all I am is a steward or somebody who keeps your stuff. And when you want it, you get it. Everything, this is the revelation, everything belongs to God. It's his. During um, World War II, um, we were engaged uh, to go to war against the enemies, uh, Japan and Germany and so on, and our enemies. And, and it was a big, big deal. It was a world war. It wasn't just like one little thing. It was all these different nations coming together. And we were in the midst of a terrible depression. We were at the tail end of it, but a lot of Americans didn't know that. And so uh, they, they had men 
that would, they were so courageous back in those days, and I think we still have them today too, but so courageous that we had men 40 and 45 years of age signing up or re-enlisting it later in life just to go and fight the enemies against America because that's how much they believed in this land and how much they believed in the cause of this war. And of course, they knew the, the, that there would be incredible fallout as a result. They could lose their life or be maimed or whatever, never be the same again, but they were willing to do it. And the government needed the money and in order to put people to work to build tanks and bullets and all the things that you need to go to war with. And by the way, the women went into the workforce. You might see pictures of women in factories. First time ever they were actually in that, that kind of way, in droves. And thousands of women went to work and built tanks and armory and all kinds of stuff to supply for the men that went to war. And so it was like a whole national effort. Okay, and they had they was the, the they were selling U.S. bonds. The government was to build money, and they're asking people just to donate money, and and millions and millions of dollars, one dollar at a time, was being donated to uh, the U.S. government to keep this thing alive to win the war. They thought that's the way they were going to win, and so the posters, and you saw them everywhere, and even in movies, was "Give until it hurts," "Give until it hurts." And, uh, and it worked. They, they, they were able to fund the war and win the war and thank God for it. After, right after the war, not only did we, guys, not only did we come out of the Great Depression, or Depression, but we became the wealthiest nation on planet Earth. That's a pretty big jump from one thing to the next. So even God used that. My point of bringing that up is that that is not a biblical concept in the sense of, it's a good concept all coming together. I want you to see that, to go to war because we, we fight the good fight of faith. That's true in the spirit too. But it shouldn't be give until it hurts. It ought to be give until it feels right or give until it feels good. It shouldn't be a negative. It ought to always be a positive. Acts 20 verse 35 says, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak, take care of people. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What a revelation. That's the generous life. And then it says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand. Now, this is Paul, the apostle, talking to the church at Corinth. We read it as Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. But in reality, it was a church. It was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. They were the Corinthians. And he said, he said, it is necessary that you go ahead and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. In other words, he's saying, yes, there's a lot of ministry that needs to be funded. And yes, I need that to be able to carry on the kingdom of God message to the rest of the Gentile world, because he was a Jew called to the Gentiles. He's saying, I need that finance to do that. Why don't you prepare it ahead of time? So that it's something you can do out of generosity. And not something i got to pull on to make it feel like I'm making people do. But do it out of generosity because that's the way to do it. But not out of grudging uh, obligation because that's not what God wants. He said, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You see that? Sowing and reaping concerning finances. So he said this. He said, when you sow, it's like every time you give 
your money toward the ministry, your funds, your, and also your time, and also your talent, when you do it, it's like seed that gets sown into the earth. And then you wait a little bit, and after a little bit, up comes the harvest. And you have what? You have a return or a harvest. You get to reap what has grown out of that little seed. One little seed can produce corn that has hundreds of seed in it. One little seed. And it keeps, it's exponential, right? Well, that's what, we have, that's what we have to say to ourselves. When I gave today, I gave it as seed that went into the ground. But what he said was, I can expect a harvest, but if I sow little, I get little. If I sow much, I get much. It's all predetermined on my willingness to give. And that's what he's driving home with the church. And then he says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, right? Mm, I had to do this today. Mm. Not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a tearful, I mean, uh, <clears throat> cheerful giver. Come on, someone say amen. I've seen a lot of tearful givers too, amen. Oh, Jesus, please. Am I right about it? And God is able to make all grace, that means favor, abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may be, have abundance for every good work. So he's saying, when you give, don't worry about it. There's going to be an abundant supply to take care of you. And he says, as it's written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Just to put it in modern day vernacular, you can't outgive God. When you give to God, he says, I'll give. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it'll be given back into your life. An abundant supply. Second Corinthians 8, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Here's, another, here's these other churches that come out of Macedonia. That in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Let me break that down for you. He was saying this. I just got done ministering these churches at Macedonia. My mind was blown. Why, Paul? Because these, church, these churches I went to, they were poor, yo. They had no money at all, but they had lots of joy, and they had a lot of liberality, and they loved God with all their hearts, and I was, they gave me a little offering. It's all they had, and they're trying to give it to me, and I was like, no, 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 keep it. Just keep it. You need it more than I need it, and they basically rebuked me and said, please, out of urgency, we implore you, receive our gift. Paul, you've been teaching us, man. That if we don't sow, we can't reap. And so Paul took the gift and asked God to bless them so that that would abound to them and they could be blessed as well. All this requires faith. Didn't sound like that was hurtful giving. Didn't sound like that was tearful giving. Sound like that was filled with joy and love and expectation and hope that something's about to change in my life. You know, Isaac sowed in the land of Gerard when there was a famine. You talk about a great depression, famine. They were eating their own children. 
That's how bad it was. Terrible. Kids would die and they would try to eat them. Can you imagine how terrible this was? And demonic. And they had nothing. And they were all moving to Egypt to get out of that pressure. And God, Isaac wanted to move too. And God said, you will not move. I want to show a miracle to the world what I can do. Now take your seed and you put it in that dry, dusty, crusty, uh, clod-filled field with no water in it. And you put it in there and you watch what I do. And he put it in the ground and here comes the rain. See, we do the obedient part. God does the miracle part. He opened the heavens and it began to rain. And the Bible says, in the same year that he sowed his seed, he reaped a hundredfold return. Didn't have to leave Milwaukee to do it. Come on, somebody say amen. Giving creates a sense of peace, doesn't it? It does. It creates a sense of gratification. You feel satisfied, gratified. You, you just know that God's in it every time you give of your time. Or you give of your, of, your, of, your, of your talents and you give of your treasure. You remember Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's the revelation. Look, church, there's, there's just something special about giving generously to the house of God in order for that house to fulfill its assignment, in order for the house of God to fulfill the mission God has given it. It, it makes, it makes the, the mission complete, and it makes you a part of the mission. It, it's impossible for us. we got a great mandate in this church. We have great plans for the future. We, we've had great plans, but a lot of that's come to pass. And now we've got new plans and new vision, what God wants to do through our lives and reaching and touching our community for Jesus Christ. But all of it's going to take all of us coming together sharing together, all of us coming together and saying, Lord, whatever you have in me, if you can use it for your glory, I'm willing to give of it my time, my talent, my treasure. By the way, if you haven't got involved in Growth Track, Growth Track is our little class that you'll do right over here after you do it at the second service. You sign up for it today and you get to find out where you belong, where you fit. Because I believe every believer fits in somewhere. I tell people all the time and I know I can go before God and be cool with it because he gets it and I get it. If you don't belong to this church, you do belong to a church. I believe that with all my heart, everybody belongs somewhere where they fit into the body of Christ and that becomes their deal and then they, God begins to use them. If you, that old song is, if you can use anything, Lord, use me. Use my hand and my feet. Touch my mouth, Lord, speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, use me. That ought to be our attitude when we come together to fulfill the mission and the assignment God's given our church. And the truth is, most people's frustration, a lot of people frustrated today, most of it, can I just be real with y'all? Because I'm going to be anyways. It's when we live for ourselves. When we're selfish. When we live to get for us. And by the way, we, I love millennials. Don't get me wrong. I have two children that are millennials, right? I love them. They bring to the table what we couldn't, Gen, Gen Xers could never bring to the table. Neither could baby boomers. But we all brought something so we all can learn from each other. Amen, somebody. I said, amen. We can all learn from each other, right? We can. You don't hate each other, do you? We got to love each other. But millennials think differently than, than us. But one of the things, one of the traits that has been a weak point with a lot of millennials is it's all about what others can do for me rather than what I can do for society or what I can do for other people. And it's leaked right into the church. It shouldn't be that way. You know, be hard-pressed to find us giving to the government today and say, yes, let us go off to war. We'll fight the battles. Here's all my money. You know, and I'm 40, I'm 50 years old. Put me on, could you imagine me in the front line? Come on, somebody. 
I just want a gun, a big gun. That's all I, I just stay behind the gun and the shield. That's all I could do. But the truth of the matter is, is that, but remember doing that, but we live in a different world. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I am saying we can learn from the old and the thing of let's jump all the way in. Let's give what we can. Let's do the best that we can. And we live for ourselves. We are frustrated. We're never, ever, ever satisfied. Come on, y'all. It's all about selfies. Come on, y'all. Oh, you don't want to talk to me. All right. It is. I mean, you know, we, it's funny how we think things are going to fulfill us. Things will make us happy. And I tell you, if you've lived for just a little while on planet Earth, I can promise you things are not going to make you happy as you think. I mean, that new car looked real good and shiny and smelled good, and you just had to have it, and you had to call 15 people to borrow some money for the down payment, and you're going to pay them all back. Come on, somebody. And you got... 25% interest at the bank, and you felt that was a pretty good deal. Come on, and I'll just take it because my credit stinks, and so I'll just go ahead and take the car. And man, that car was awesome. And you drove off the lot, and nothing like driving a brand new car off the lot. You drove off the lot, come on, y'all, you got the radio on. It's springtime, the windows are down, seat is back, got your lean on. Come on, somebody. Driving through the hood. What's up? Right? Showing everybody your new ride, take, going outside, take a picture. Hey! And you're Christian, so look at the Lord's blessing on my life. F favor ain't fair. Hashtag favor ain't fair. Right? Until what? It's all fun and games. Until 30 days later, and you get the bill in the mail. Come on, somebody. And you don't even care. That new car smells. It's all you, all you think about is got to pay the bill. Come on, someone say amen. Am I right about this? It just doesn't last. And there's nothing wrong with having a new car. There's nothing wrong with being excited about having a new car. But just understand, come on, it's not the joy that you're looking for. It's not the satisfaction you're looking for. There's nothing like having a little bit of extra and seeing somebody who is in need and going to them saying, hey, I just want to bless you with this. No, no strings attached. Hey, have it, it's yours. And bless them, they go, wow, thank you. And tears stream down. You have no idea what you've just done. Man, you, I, I may not, but you feel like a million bucks because you're not living for you anymore. You're living for God. You want to be a blessing everywhere you go. I'm like a blessing machine. Am I right? And when I come to the house of God, I don't get stingy. I say, whatever we need, let's do it. Let's take care of it. It's the, house, it's the, Lord, it's the Lord's house. And we all got to come together. And then the frustration begins to leave. Let me make this statement. Sharing of what you have does not, does not diminish you. It replenishes you. It's the opening through which we receive from God. He opens the windows of heaven to those who will give. Giving makes it possible for God to give to us more. And the more we give, the greater the blessing comes upon our life. The more we give, you can't outgive God, the greater the blessing comes upon our lives. I learned this young. My wife and I learned this very young. We're in our, our early 20s. I was, I was 21 years of age. But I bought a house, I think when I was, I, I was 19, when I bought the house pretty young but I was able to do it and we were just married and so uh, we moved in this house we liked the house but it was in Rockford Illinois and my parents started a church in Beloit and we felt called to go with them to Beloit so I had to sell the house so that I could be closer so we decided to sell the house this house sold within weeks bam put it on the market I made ten thousand dollars on this house I looked it up today I couldn't believe it the equivalent of ten thousand dollars like it would be now 
The value is over $18,000. So we had that money. Praise God. What are we going to do with it? Probably put a down payment in another house to live in Beloit. That's where we were going. So that was the plan. So we're sitting in church after we, we, we had sold the house. We were looking for a place to stay. Found a little place uh, to lease because we couldn't find a house right away to buy. So we got that locked down and we're now moved to Beloit. Well, my dad gets in front of the church and said, you know, church, we're moving to this other place and now we got to pick up some things that we didn't have before because the church was very young and we were borrowing everything, you know, that in those days. He said, we need to buy chairs. We just built the first little phase of our building. Sat about 115, 120 people. Had a couple offices and, and a couple uh, play, uh, uh, teaching rooms for the kids and he said we need chairs and these chairs are expensive now we didn't know how much the chairs cost and he asked the church if they would give well I looked at my wife I felt God all over me I said we're going to give all that money she said okay let's do it I didn't flinch I didn't go oh no I didn't get hot and sweat and freak out you know I'm not saying that doesn't happen sometimes it does but for me I was so excited that I heard God and I couldn't wait to give it that was all the money we had in the whole world and I, I gave it to my dad you know my dad didn't tell first sources you know what my dad said he gave me a check back he said son uh, you know maybe you need to you know think about this a little bit longer you know because he knew I was pretty radical he said you maybe you need to just hold off on this a little bit longer and you know I just don't want to see this for your house and stuff like that maybe you want to give a little bit I don't, he thought I was just being kind of impetuous and I I'd heard the Lord. I looked at my dad and said, Dad, I heard God. What are you trying to do, steal my blessing? I said, take the check. He said, all right. I didn't take about twice. I said, okay. All right. <laughs> that was it for him. He said, oh, we're good now. And the chairs cost $10,000, which gave us enough to buy, I think, 200 chairs. That gave us more for uh, uh, all the rooms and classrooms and all that kind of stuff. And we were able to purchase the chairs. Never looked back. So thankful to God. Now, we didn't live in the best place, but then we upgraded to another little place. And when we upgraded to that place, uh, that was 1991 when we moved and gave the money. In 1995, we were building our first home. No money down. All brand new everything. Brand new van. And she wasn't working. I was working for the church because, amen, cheap labor. Hallelujah. Don't make a lot of money doing that. And so, and, but yet God supplied every single need. And that house we sold to come here. I'm just here to tell you guys, and we made money on that. I'm just here to tell you guys that God does it the right way. He'll test the heart. And what he does, you have to be saying, I'm willing. Whatever you want. I could have never afforded a brand new. I could I was, how old was I? I was 21, 25, 26 maybe years old when we built a house. I could imagine 26 years of age building my house. But here we are picking out all the stuff and furnishings and the carpet and the, how the bathroom tile is going to look and all that stuff. Feeling pretty good too about it. Praise God. And here we are doing all that. That can only be the hand of God working in that situation. I told you all that to let you know we're just people like anybody else. All we did was work the system that God set forth. Be willing and obedient. You'll watch peace come. Gratification come. God opened doors of favor that no man can close. And that's what happens. That gift of giving, of generosity, is, comes from trusting God more than the facts, more than your circumstances, more than how much talent you got, more than the money in your bank account. I trust you, God, above everything else, and all that I have is yours. It may not be much, but it's all I got. Amen. Amen. If $5 is all you got in your pocket, how many knows it's tough to give the $5? I don't care who you are. It might be 5000 for you, five for somebody else. It's all relative, but if it's your last, let me tell you something. It takes some courage and some guts, but I've always lived this way. It's only five bucks. It can't make me or break me anyways. Praise God. I'm going to do what God says. I'm just here to tell you, 
That's what I want from him. If he wants it, I just want to be obedient to it. I don't need to do more to show I've proven myself more. I just need to do what he asks me to do. Also, through giving, we become partners with God's work. I literally now partner with the Almighty God to fulfill his will on earth. God's people has, have always used the resources that were given to them by God to carry out his work. God didn't make stuff specially appear, did he? When he did that, when he built that temple, did he just make the gold appear and the pillars appear? And did he make the marble appear and the altar appear and all the implements that were all gold? Did he just make them appear and all they had to do is put it together? No, they had to take what they had and offer them. New Testament, Jesus wanted to feed the multitude, 5,000 plus men and women, right? But there was no food. But they had one kid who was willing to offer up his lunch, two fish and five loaves. And Jesus said, I'll use that faith. He put his hand upon it, blessed it, and they fed a multitude. So much so that they took up 12 basketfuls. Come on. Of it left over. Where'd the 12 baskets go? To the little boy who gave him the two fish and the five loaves. That was his reward. Come on, somebody. See, that's, that's the system by which by which God always supplies all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus when you live generously. Exodus 25, uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase this, but God told the people to bring offerings of gold and silver and bronze, fine linens and fabrics from their houses, oils and spices and incense and precious stones and gems to build the tabernacle in which he would dwell. He wanted to live, but he needed them to be obedient and bring the things. And then the Bible says the people were so delighted, so excited, so willing to give to this effort that finally God told Moses, tell the people, I'm so proud of them, but don't bring any more offering. We've got enough to finish the work. Tell them to go home. Man, oh man, would I like to stand up here one day and go, please people, please. We've got too much. Take it back. I would love to do that. How many knows for your pastor, that'd be great faith to say something like that. Hallelujah. Because I know what we got to do. I know we, we got we to pay off our building. We, gotta, we want to do ministry. We want another church across town. We want, and we want to do everything debt free. Come on, somebody. We want to win people to Jesus, man. We want to build homes for women that are battered. There's so much we want to do. Feed the hungry and do more and more and more. But it takes all of us together to be able to do something like that. The people of God did that. That was the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you can read it for yourself. Acts 2 and 4. Uh, we find God's people gladly selling their possessions including houses and their lands and giving the money to the apostles to be distributed among their fellow Christians that, that nobody would ever be in need. And I'm not suggesting somebody go sell their land. That's not what I'm saying, or their car or house. I'm just saying there's, there's got to be a willingness inside of us that says, Lord, even that is yours. Even if that's what you want from me, I'm willing to do it. Now, you look crazy to everybody else, but you know you're not crazy. And you know that it's something that you're doing for the Almighty God. But how do you think they propagated the gospel? This thing was such a fledging organization. Small. Hiding out in little parts of the city to be able to just get the word out. And then doing things on the side. And it grew. And it grew. And they needed more people to get involved in with their time, their talent, and their treasure. What happened? They were able to preach the entire Middle East and then into Asia before the first generation of them stopped living on planet Earth. That is a move of God when you start seeing God's people going, whatever it takes, let's do it. 
By the way, God, you need to know you can put God in your debt. Whatever your debt is right now, it could be, it could be hospital bills, it could be credit card debt, car loan, student loan, whatever it is, you can put God right in the middle of that thing and have an expectation that, Lord, as I sow, you promised there would be, there'd be reaping involved here and you're going to pay it off. Again, I do the believing and obeying. He does the miracle. So we got the woman. Remember the woman in the Old Testament? And she um, was about to die, so poor, had nothing. And she was about to, about to die. And so uh, she has a couple sticks together to burn for fire and a little bit of oil and, 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 and flour. And, uh, and, and, and she had just enough to make a cake. And then it was her last cake and she was dead. That's, that was all she had. Elijah comes in. She tells Elijah the problem. Elijah represents the ministry of God in, earth, in the earth. And she, he walks in and says, what's going on? Tells the problem. He goes, okay, that sounds like a bad problem. But hey, before you make yourself a cake, make me one from it first. Elijah's a jerk. He's rude. How dare you take this woman's last meal, you fat hog? What's wrong with you, Elijah? Come on. That's what everybody in natural would be thinking right now. But he's not thinking that way. That's not where his mind is. He understands the law of reciprocity. When you give, it's given back to you. By faith, she takes her last meal and says, here, fat boy, go ahead and eat it. And he eats it. And then he prophesies, as the Lord lives, your flour, a bin of flour, nor your jar of oil will ever run dry until the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And that woman ate and ate and ate and ate and ate and ate. Never ran dry. The church, she did the obedience part. She did the willing part. She did the giving part. God did the miracle part. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost on this today. Look what it says here. Let me make this comment before I say that. Jesus, when dealing with that rich man, the young ruler, and he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and he said, well, uh, honor your mother and father. He said, don't murder, don't, don't, don't uh, covet your neighbor's wife. He's going through the list of all these, the law. And he said, well, Jesus, I've kept these laws for my youth. And Jesus, the Bible said, loved him. He knew it was the truth. He loved him. And he said, well, there's one thing you have not done. Go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and take up your cross and come follow me. And the Bible says he was sad at the saying. He wept, he said, because he had many possessions. Jesus was not inferring that the man sell all his stuff so he could become poorer than the people who needed the money in the first place. He was basically saying, you've kept all the commandments, but you don't understand the principle that those who sow generously will reap generously. If you give it all away, it will all come back and more into your life so you can be able to give it all away again. He trusted in his ability. He trusted in his wealth, not in God, who was the source of his ability and the source of his wealth. Somebody say amen. amen. And I'm going to close with this here. Luke 8, 1 through 3. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, Jesus did, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 disciples were with him and a certain woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom came seven demons and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward and Susanna, Susanna and many others who provided for Jesus, him from their substance. This is powerful guys. And sometimes we look at this stuff, we, we just read it and go right over it, but there's a whole thing here, a whole thing. What is that thing? Well, Jesus has a ministry. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ 
ministry, evangelistic ministry association was pretty big actually because they knew him everywhere and he went into towns and everywhere he went he had thousands of people thronging him and they were able to put him up overnight and he stayed in people's homes sometimes and he wore the best. The Bible said that he, he had on a beautiful, beautiful gown the day they took him to beat him and imprison him and to put him on the cross. It was so costly that they rent it in two to get off his body and they gambled just to get the material because that's how wealthy, that's how much it was he had. People blessed him. You know, when people minister to you, you instantly want to bless back. He is the church. He is, Jesus is, we're the body of Christ on earth. He established the church. He had money coming in. We know that because the Bible said he had a treasurer to take care of all the money for all the issues. He had 12 disciples with 12 families that followed. That was his staff members. He had to take care of them all. Then 70 more on top of that. You got to study your word. Where did that come from? People gave. How do I know? It's right here. And the thing that's so cool is Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna were all products of his ministry. They had ministry that was done to them. One had demons casted out of her. Mary Magdalene did. And she loved Jesus. And the Bible says those three women alone would offer or provide for Jesus out of their substance of what they had. You see, this isn't a new concept. This is how God has dealt with this church. Because why? It's ultimate faith from everybody using their time, their talents, and their treasure to make sure God's kingdom is taken care of. If it's one dollar as a sacrifice, that's, that's God to you. That's awesome. If it's one million, that's another sacrifice, a different sacrifice altogether. That's awesome. But never negate the fact that every single one of us, we got to say, Lord, I want to be generous. I haven't been maybe as generous as I should, but I'm going to start. I'm going to be that way so that we can be the church that we're called to be.